Well, how you doing? Good morning. Yeah. All right, we're going to divide the room this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 again. Uh, We're going to kind of divide everybody by generation, I'm assuming. So uh, we're going to play a little game real quick called Identify the Object. And so the rules of the game are simple. If you know what the object on the screen is, raise your hand. If you don't know, leave your hand down. So if you know what the purpose is for that object, raise your hand. We got about 11 of these, so uh, we'll go through them. But first object is, if you know what that is, raise your hand. Okay, we might also be dividing by somewhat gender as well here. Um, So we're going to get there. Uh, Anyways, if you know what this is, this is a oil filter wrench. If you need to take off your oil filter, you can put it on it, clamping down, it'll loosen it a lot easier for you. All right, next up, if you know what this object is. All right, there's some older, I mean, gray-haired people that kind of know what that is. Um, That is Snapchat. It is a social media platform that a bunch of the younger generations are using. All right, next up. If you know what that is, here we go, ladies. This is your chance, and a couple gentlemen as well. Um, I thought y'all had really nice eyelashes there in the back. Uh, This is an eyelash curler. I get right? Am I right on that? Okay, that's what I thought. I made it. I didn't even know what it was. Um, All right, next up. Okay, this one blew me away. If you know what that is, yeah. Couple. All right. This is what you would call a NFT, non-fungible token. I found out about this the other day. It is a virtual trading card. That thing sold for $15 million. That thing right there that I took a screenshot of sold for $15 million. People are creating these on their computer and then they're selling them for like bukus of dollars. I saw the other day even, side tangent, invisible art sold for $500,000. All they got was a receipt, and they sold it for $500,000. It's like, you got scammed. I mean, that's not even art. But anyways, that is a non-fungible token. You could buy that for $16 million today if you want, and use it as your screensaver. All right, next up. Anybody know what that is? All right, that one's got two purposes, though. Yeah, all the parents are understanding also what that is. It is a wooden spoon used for cooking or, in the olden days, used for disciplinary measures. So, dual purpose on that one. All right, next up. All right. If you said Nintendo game console, that is not correct. That is an 8-track. Sorry, Heather, not singling you out or anything, but uh, (laughs) I I think she's getting ready for the potluck, so I'm safe on that one. Nobody's going to wrap me out either. So, uh, all right, next up. Anybody know what that one is? Again, we got a social media platform, TikTok. It's the rave today. Uh, All right, next up. We'll get through these. Yeah, the good old-fashioned pager. I hear nurses still use them every now and then, so Kurt does. Um, Call me, beat me, if you want to reach me, Kim Possible. All right, next up, that's showing my age. Anybody know what that is? Man, a shoehorn. Help you put your shoe on. Yep, 
All right, uh, I think we might have one or two more. Do we know what that is? Yeah. Some people need that on their keys. It's an Apple ID tag, so it like tells you you can put it on your keys, and if it's like, I don't know where my keys are, pull up Find My, and it'll tell you right where your keys are. Make a noise even. All right, last one here we got. Yeah, that thing would hold like 128 megabytes, and I think now you can hold like terabytes on a thumb drive, but that is a floppy disk. And so the reason that we're opening up with that is because as we can see, some people know how to use those, and some people don't know how to use those, like the wooden spoon. Apparently a lot of parents back in the day decided we're going to change the purpose of this and use it for disciplinary measure. My parents always used my favorite toys to use as disciplinary measures, so it was like you were okay if that toy broke because it wasn't going to get used on you. But when you know the purpose of something, or actually, let me rephrase that. When you know what something is, then you know what the purpose of it is. So when you know the meaning of something and and what it actually is, you know how to apply it, how to use it, and what it is to be used for. And the vice versa can be the same. If you don't understand what something is, then you're not going to understand what it's used for. And it's probably going to be used in a wrong, hurtful way. And so that's the whole thing is we've been going through this series on identity in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, where we've been looking at all the things that God tells us we are. Chosen, adopted, children, forgiven, redeemed. All these things that God is saying, this is who you are. So we're finding out who we are, but the problem is, is sometimes we know who we are, but the purpose is still thrown off. We think, yes, I'm chosen, now I can do whatever I want, and that's not the purpose that you were chosen. I'm adopted, so I'm in the family of God, so I can just keep on sinning, and the purpose is all wrong, and so it's causing damage to relationships in community, but also relationships with God. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. As we wrap up the series on identity of what's the point of it all? Why am I all of these things? And there's one point. And again, the, the one sentence synopsis, if you want, for this sermon is because we are made new by the working of God We live to glorify God. And we're going to see that repeated three times in our passage this morning as we're kind of jumping back to the beginning of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, and we're going to read 13 through 14. And so if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. And so Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it. We thank you that we can publicly proclaim it. And God, we thank you that it is living and active. And so God, I just pray that as we have gathered together, we now open our hearts to welcome you into this place and to hear from you. So God, speak to us in this time. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So again, we've been seeing through this whole series who we are. I mean, through those 11 verses right there, even over and over, we heard you are chosen, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are saved, you are sealed. Like, man, all of these wonderful things. Like if you're ever feeling bad about yourself, pull out Ephesians, read the first two chapters. And I would encourage you to circle those words in your Bible. That say who God is calling you, what he is saying about you. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, not refurbished, not remodeled, gone, and the new has come. You are a completely new creation. And we see that Paul has been contrasting that in the first two chapters of Ephesians. Where he says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses. That we were following the course of this world. That we were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. That in verse 12, he says that you were strangers. That you were aliens. That you were distant from God. That you had no hope. And that you had not even God in this world. And then God, through the work of Jesus, does a complete 180, not even a 180, a complete remaking in our life. To where, circle these words if you are willing to in your Bible. In Ephesians 1.4, where he says, you are chosen. Where in Ephesians 1.5, he says, you are adopted as sons. See the contrast here. You were dead. You were distant. You were without God. And now you are chosen. You are adopted. You are in verse 7, redeemed and forgiven. Verse 13, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 4 of chapter 2, you are made alive. You were dead, but because of God, you are made alive. You are saved from an eternal damnation in hell. 
You are, verse 10, God's masterpiece created for good works. In verse 13, you were distant, but now you are brought near. And then verse 19, you are now fellow citizens, and you are members of the household of God. I mean, if ever you're feeling bad about yourself, read those verses. This is the creator of the world, not just the world, the universe. He holds the universe in the span of his hand. And he says, I choose you. I adopt you. I'm going to bring you near. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to make you a new masterpiece. I am going to give my only son for you. That is what God does. That is who he tells every single person who is in Christ who they are. And I believe this should change our lives entirely. Because again, when you realize whose you are, you realize who you are. And then finally, when you realize who you are, you find confidence in whose you are. So you're going to walk around with a new air of confidence when you realize, man, I'm a a child of God. I am redeemed. My past is going to try and tell me this. No, I am bought back from slavery to my sin. I am God's child. I am with God. I am near God. I am in his family. God loves me that much. That should be revolutionary to our lives. That should not be as Dennis, I loved his meditation. That should not be, uh, yeah, I'm chosen. Not going to think about that ever again. But no, that should be what drives us, what gears us. This means that, you know, Satan, he's going to try and throw stuff at you. You're going to try and throw stuff at yourself because we're fallen sinners. People are going to try and throw stuff at us, and it should not stick. What should stick is what God tells us we are. All these things. It's not who others say. It's what God says. And honestly, this is something that I'm still working on. I mean, Friday night, I'm walking our dog and I'm dwelling on verse four where it says, man, I'm chosen. And honestly, as I'm walking, it's like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it right now, God. And honestly, I'm not really caring right now. I don't feel it. It's not driving my identity, but it should. Because as Christians, we don't look to our past. We look to the past the cross. And when we look to the past, we see the future, a hope that is an eternal life with God. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son on that cross that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life with him. And that's where we find our hope. We're not identified by the past. Paul, he writes to the Philippians. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made this my own. He says, one thing I do, I forget what lies in the past. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And he's saying, even all the zealous things that I did in the past, no, I'm forgetting that. I'm striving forward. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew exactly what it was to have a very shady past. He knew what it was. I mean, we're told in Acts chapter 8, he ravaged the church. 
I mean, he went through and he was murdering. He was insulting. It says he entered house after house and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He was okay with the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Paul was given full consent to the church is the enemy of God. We need to do away with it. And then God grabs him in Acts chapter 9 where the bright light blinds him. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think about having a shady past. One where he went and killed God's people and yet God's not saying, why are you persecuting these people? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? And that's why Paul is able to say in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and desires full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul's able to say, I totally grasp this because I'm the worst. I'm the foremost. You want to talk about sin? I got a long list of it. And he's like, but it's not about that. I forget what lies behind and I am pressing on toward the call that God has called me. Because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is entirely gone. Stop living with the guilt of the past. Stop living in the things that you've done in the past. Because if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul understood what it was to be in the past, that he was a new man. But also he realized who did that? Paul was like, hey, you want to talk about like the things that we have going for us? He's like, I was a Jew. I'm, a, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was like a Pharisee. I knew the law. I was zealous for God. Like if you want to brag about like trying to make your life really good, I can do that. And he said, but it's worthless. He actually calls it scubalon, which is a very crude word. He says it is dung. It is garbage. It is fecal matter. It's worthless because I could not do any of it on my own. It is only through Jesus. So what we need to realize through this is because of the new creation we are through the work of Jesus. It's not our own polishing ourselves up. I mean, that'd be like trying to polish a turd. Sorry, but it's still that. We are still kind of that if we try it on our own. Like, yeah, I might look good, but on the inside, nastiness. We need God to do away with those things and make us a new creation. So I want you, to, if you're willing again, underline these words in Ephesians 1 and 2. Where we see in Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, even as he chose. So we're chosen, but he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. We got to keep the real, the real subject behind all of this in view. His will. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 13, in him you 
When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed not in yourself, but in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 19, according to the working of his great might, not your efforts, his great might. Then chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that nobody here can boast about how we have made ourselves something great. Verse 10, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. Verse 14, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15, it says that he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He made peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. That's the only thing. Not through us, but through the cross. Thereby he killed the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. Verse 18, for through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Through him. Notice, through all of that, Paul has been saying this is who you are, but through all of it, he says it's only for one reason. Because of who Jesus is. And because of what God has done for us through Jesus. We are saved solely because God so loved us and desired to save us, showing his love, his mercy, his grace to us. And you know what? It brought God joy to do that. It's like, I don't want to like overstep here. It's one of God's favorite things to do. I mean, God, we're told this in Micah. I get this from scripture. Micah seven eighteen. King James Version tells us, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he, what's that word? Delights in mercy. So it's not his favorite thing to do, but man, he sure does delight in it. He loves to show mercy. He loves to take these dead, nasty, disgusting sinners. Toes hurt yet? and transform you into these beautiful new creations because that's what he loves. He delights to do. He delights in showing mercy. This means that God enjoys with the doing away. We're told in Luke that the parable of the 99 sheep that stay and the one that goes away, and it says there is more rejoicing when that one lost sheep comes back and returns to God. There is more rejoicing in heaven over that one sheep who returns than over the 99 who stay. God is delighted with what's happening right here, but there is more rejoicing in heaven when a lost, condemned sinner comes to Jesus. When lives are transformed, he says there is more rejoicing in heaven over the one who returns than over the 99 who stay. You see, it's, it's not that God does this out of resentment. You ever met those people who when you go out to eat with them, there's that battle 
for buying the meal. There's that little struggle of, I got this. No, 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 I got it. And then you almost wrestle for the check. And then as you're like, get, like finally, you know, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm stealing the check. I get a pay and there's a little hint of resentment. It's like, I can't believe you just did that to me. I'm gonna have to pay you back now. I got the next one. And oftentimes we treat God like that and the grace and the forgiveness and the salvation that he gives us. No, no, God, don't, don't save me. Let, let me cover it. Let me help as much as I can. You know, God, I'm, I can't spot the tip, so maybe you can cover me there. But let me pay for everything else. And we're actually told in a parable of an unruling uh, manager. Jesus, we'll let him talk about it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23. It says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent alone is 20 years' wages. So 20 times 10,000 is a lot of years. He owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So their servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience on me. I will pay you everything. No, you won't. That's like, God, let me cover the bill. Man, you're going to be washing dishes for like 200,000 years. Nobody lives that long. He says, let me pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. And so we're fighting God for the bill. And what God is saying is it's paid for. Now just go and accept it and live in it. Just receive the gift that I have given you. And this is like, we've taken a while to build up to this. This is the point. The purpose that it has all been done is those three repetitive statements in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 through 13 to the praise of God's glory. You have been made new, but not to glorify yourself, not to build up your own life. You have been made new for the praise of God's glory. That's been the whole point behind this entire series. You are made new. You are made alive. You are chosen. You are adopted. You are brought near. You are saved. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are all those things for one purpose, to glorify God. He alone seeks the glory of your life. And as we're told in Exodus, he is a jealous God. He does not want to share that glory with anybody or anything else. And so when you realize whose you are, you realize who you are. And when you realize who you are, you find confidence in whose you are. And when you realize all that, you will live to glorify God. When you totally understand the purpose behind it all, you will live to glorify God. He says it in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. He says it in verse 12, that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he says, you were sealed and you were saved in verse 14 with the Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There is one reason all of this has happened, for you to glorify God, 
for you to make him Lord and master of your life and live for him. So seriously, I want, want you to consider this. Maybe take an audit of your last week and all the time that you spent. How much of that time was spent intentionally living to the praise of God's glory? Well, I had to go to work to a job that I honestly hate. Can't really do that. Oh, contraire, my friend. You can still glorify God at a job that you absolutely hate. Well, I had to go to school and that's pointless because I learned the Pythagorean theorem and never going to use that. It can still be used to the glory of God. Everything we do, we're told in Colossians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that's actually 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Colossians tells us that when you are working, you should work for the Lord and not for man. So everything that we do, everything, your work, your leisure, your hobbies, your family time, your school, whatever it is, everything you do should be done for the glory of God. Maybe you're like me, though, and you like to make this statement. I want to. I want to take a nap right now. I want to. There's a lot of emphasis on my life of I. I don't really want to do that. I really want to do this. Instead of saying, God, what would you have me do right now? I didn't ask that question one time this week, honestly. Not once. It was too much filled with, I want to do this. I want to do that. We are called to have God at the front of our minds. And what does he want us to do? How can I redeem this moment? God, if I have nothing to do, you cool if I take a nap? Because even Jesus got away for some time. God, you want me to go talk to these people? How can I do that to glorify you? God, you want me to go to a job that I really don't like? Help me redeem it for you to glorify you. You want me to do whatever, fill in the blank. How can I do it for you? This is the very purpose that we were made new, to serve God, to live for him. Dennis mentioned it, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God is calling for all of us to be given over to him. You see, when we realize how much we have been forgiven, everything that God has done, then it changes how we live our life. Jesus had this encounter with a Pharisee named Simon. He goes into Simon's house and he just goes in, sits down, reclining with Simon, and this woman comes in. And in Luke chapter 7, it says that Jesus tells this parable because Simon is thinking to himself, if Jesus knew who was washing his feet, if Jesus knew who was really touching him right now, he would kick her out of this house. And so Jesus looks at Simon and says, can I tell you something? A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. When you realize what God has done in your life, it's going to transform the way you live your life. And it will no longer be for yourself, but it will be for God and for his glory. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you. But you were bought with a price. And then he says in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus, who sacrificed it all for you. So he says, therefore, glorify God. Because you are not your own, because you were bought with a price, when you gave your life over to Jesus, he redeemed you from the pits of hell. You are not your own, so therefore glorify God with your body. Because you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace alone, you have been saved. It's nothing you can do when we grasp that. And honestly, it's going to be a continuing work. Sanctification is a process. Being like perfected in this life is a process, but we strive on, as Paul said, I forget what lies behind and I press on toward the call that Christ Jesus has called me for. We live for him. Where we're willing to live for Christ, We're willing to die for Christ, but not just die once. Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily, deny himself, and follow me. It is a daily death. Today is not about me. Tomorrow is not about me. It is about Jesus and Jesus alone. Because you have been made new by the working of God through Jesus Christ alone, you live to glorify God. That is what he is calling you to do. If you are hearing my voice, God is calling you. Stop living for yourself and live for him. Make him truly Lord of your life over everything. He wants all of you. So as Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your true, holy, and acceptable worship to God. Father God, We thank you. As as we've just looked through the past seven weeks or so, God, it's all because of what you've done. That we are new. God, that I have a hope at all in this life. God, it's it's all because of you. And you are calling us, even me today, to continue to live for you, to make you Lord today tomorrow and for the rest of my life on this earth. God, you're calling your people here who are hearing this to live for you. May we truly grasp the message of the gospel. May it hit us so deep of who we were, what you did, and now the hope that we have that, God, we just willingly 
give our lives over to you. May we be found faithful to you. In, in the small things of life, may we offer everything to you as our living sacrifice to you. God, you're doing a work. Continue to transform us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Our hymn of invitation this morning is number 482.